Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, all. Before we begin, some quick announcements. First, just a reminder that the links for the weekly news recap at the end of the show can be found in my Facebook Bulletin newsletter, which is at laurashin.bulletin.com. There are also a few extra news items in it, plus additional articles on news that is not available on the pod. Be sure to subscribe today. Again, it's laurashin.bulletin.com. Second, my book, The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze, is available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop.org, or any of your other favorite bookstores. Go to bit.ly slash cryptopians. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-I-A-N-S and pre-order today. Now on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they say on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. This is the October 22nd episode of Unconfirmed. Tired of your exchange taking 25% of your staking profits? The Avado blockchain computer allows you to stake Ethereum and other crypto at home and keep 100% of the rewards. Go to ava.do. The Crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the Crypto.com app with code LAURA. The link is in the description. Wish you could earn crypto but don't want to spend thousands on hardware? Just download the Nodal Cash app on your smartphone. Visit nodal.io slash unconfirmed. That's N-O-D-L-E dot I-O slash unconfirmed to start earning Nodal Cash today. Today's guest is Plan B, an institutional investor turned Bitcoin investor and the inventor of the stock to flow model. Welcome, Plan B. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Heads up for those of you watching the video, Plan B uses a pseudonym so as to hide his real identity, which is why we are showing an image rather than the video on his side. So Plan B, your Bitcoin price models have done really well over the years. And this week, you got even more validation for your projections In case people are unfamiliar with your professional background, just give us a brief history and tell us how you came to Bitcoin. Yeah, so I'm uh, in traditional finance for the last 25 years. I started in dealing rooms and moved my way up to um, bank balance sheets, insurance balance sheets, and managing uh, pension balance sheets, mainly in uh, structured finance or risk management functions or in the uh, investment offices of those those firms. So, um, yeah, I've seen a lot in the last 25 years, uh, but one of the most interesting things I came across was Bitcoin. Uh, and for me, that was uh, 2013 that I first read the white paper. I was hooked from the start. And tell us how you came to create the stock to flow model and, and what that is. Yeah, well, one of the things that I missed when I, I entered the space was um, a valuation model. For every asset, we have a valuation model for, for equities, for all the derivatives. 
Not for gold, by the way. That has the same problem as Bitcoin. Uh, there's not really a valuation model, although you can look at uh, the mining costs of gold, and that that's what most of the uh, models that um, that were there for Bitcoin were as well. So what I tried to do was make some fundamental case for why Bitcoin has any value at, at all, because most people were saying, well, there's there's nothing backing it. Uh, Bitcoin is a pyramid scheme or a bubble or whatever. So I sort of started from the uh, assumption that scarce assets like gold and real estates, et cetera, have more value than, than, uh, than less or non-scarce assets. And of course, in the commodity markets, there is this, this uh, stock-to-flow measure where, where you can sort of quantify the scarcity of an asset. And I use that, that known measure to correlate it with the price. Uh, first, only with uh, the time series of Bitcoin, so the, the Bitcoin price over time, and later with a stock-to-flow cross-asset model, I combined the data with gold data, real estate data, silver, diamonds, other scarce assets. And what you, what I found was a perfect linear relation between the scarcity measured in stock to flow and the market values of all those assets. And that was astonishing for me and just gave me a rough, I must say it's a very rough model, but it gave me a rough indication that, that Bitcoin should be well, worth somewhere in between silver and gold and going towards gold since it now has the uh, the same uh, stock to flow and, and the scarcity as gold. So, yeah, very interesting uh, discovery. I put it on paper and, and since then uh, on Twitter and with the interviews like, like we're having now, it, it, it really took off and, and caught me by surprise. So, uh, yeah, especially now with over a million followers, I'm really... Um, astonished by that. Yeah, I I only imagine especially because you do have an anonymous account. Um so I, you know, I've heard you say you also use other price models. I don't know if you've made too much about them public, but in general I think your models have been vindicated this week. Why do you think we've hit this new all-time high of nearly $67,000 uh, for Bitcoin this week? Yeah, I could give several answers to that, uh but but uh, yeah, maybe Maybe one step back when I made the model that was in March uh, 2019, we were below uh, $4,000 Bitcoin after the 2017 all-time high of 20,000. So we, we crashed all the way to 4,000, even going to 3,000. I think, I think it was 3.2 um, at the bottom. And everybody's calling for, for $1,000 Bitcoin at the, at that time. And through the um, stock to flow and through the scarcity, yeah, that, that guided me towards, well, there will be a halving. Bitcoin will be more scarce, approximately as scarce as gold. So we, we have to go up from here and not down. And, uh, and we have to go up to the $1 trillion, um, market cap. And, um, and we reached that cap at, at the moment. And so the last, uh, two years or three years were really spectacular and, and roughly, uh, led us towards that $1 trillion market cap. And I think based on that stock to flow model and, and, uh, and the scarcity of Bitcoin at the moment that we should go a lot higher, uh, than we are today, uh, towards the five or 10 trillion, uh, a dollar cap at first, uh, the same dollar, um, market value as, as gold has. 
But yeah, more recently, there's, there's of course, all sorts of things happening in the macro and uh, geopolitical sphere that caused the, uh, that were the immediate triggers, I should say, for, uh, for the rises. And of course, the Bitcoin ETF is one of the things that, that was, that we have been waiting for, for a long time to happen. And that came to, um, yeah, that, 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 that was a reality since, uh, this week. And, uh, and, and that caused a major, uh, upwards movement, I think, in, uh, in Bitcoin that helped us a lot. And so since that was, um, Bitcoin futures ETF, which I think the community, um, maybe didn't necessarily expect, uh, you know, at least until recently. And I was also criticized for saying, you know, it's not maybe as efficient or as good a product as a spot ETF would be. Um, so why do you think that it affected the price that way? And how do you think it'll affect the Bitcoin price going forward? Yeah, that's very true. Uh, Bitcoin's um, futures ETF is is uh, it's better than nothing, but it's not as good as a spot ETF. And uh, so I'm, I'm already happy with the futures ETF and I understand it because uh, futures are instruments that the SEC understands. And for example, in uh, the companies I used to work for, the latest company was a, pens, uh, a pension balance sheet of 100 billion uh, US dollars. They did not understand Bitcoin or, well, let's say my colleagues did understand Bitcoin and had Bitcoin in their personal portfolios, but we did not have a mandate to go into uh, Bitcoin, a virtual uh, currency like assets, because our board did not understand it. Um, and 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 likewise, um the SEC does not understand, I guess, Bitcoin and, and digi- or, or has to get used to this digital uh, currency world. And futures, and I saw that in my company as well, futures on Bitcoin, that was interesting because they knew the instruments. So a futures ETF, well, yeah, it's a first step, and, and but it's not as good as a spot ETF. For example, um, I have been talking about the cash and carry trade before that, that there's a huge premium and conta- contango premium between, uh, futures and spot prices. The future Bitcoin price is approximately uh, annualized 10% higher than the spot price at the moment. So a, uh, Bitcoin futures ETF would, would lose that, that 10% contango premium, um, compared to a spot, uh, ETF and, well, yeah, if Bitcoin uh, goes 2x or 10x, then, then that 10% is, uh, is, is worth it. <laughs> but uh, on the other hand, it's, it is 10%. And, um, and, and as I, I used to say, there's a very interesting counter trade to that, to those, uh, future ETFs. And that is the cash and carry trade where you short the, uh, you buy the spot and you short the, the future Bitcoin and cash that, uh, at that 10% uh, annually. For, for really uh, low risk. So, yeah, I, I think it's a nice uh, step, a nice first step, but spot for sure is better than uh, than futures. Yeah, it's interesting that you said, you felt maybe the SEC didn't understand because, you know, the uh, chair, Gary Gensler, used to teach courses on <laughs> blockchain technology at MIT. I think he understands, but I think he just doesn't trust that they can't regulate the spot markets. Um, and so, yes, <laughs> yeah, he understands this for sure. <laughs> Gary's a good one. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the price action and your models, but uh, first a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. There's a new cryptocurrency made for mobile that you can earn by downloading the nodal cash app. 
It's free, easy to use, and there's no hardware to buy. The Nodal Cash app allows you to earn crypto whether you're on the go, stuck in traffic, or even while you're sleeping. Nodal Cash is the crypto you earn 24-7. Go to nodal.io slash unconfirmed to get started today. That's N-O-D-L-E dot I-O slash unconfirmed. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code Laura. The link is in the description. Back to my conversation with Plan B. So in the past, there have been articles that have come out saying that the authors felt that when they tried to retrofit the stock-to-flow model with gold, it didn't work. And so then they felt that stock-to-flow for Bitcoin won't work. What do you say to such critics? Yeah, that was one of the critics. There's a lot of them. Um, I like the discussion and, and, uh, we've had a lot of, a lot of discussion. This is one of the, um, arguments that I, I don't really understand because what I, I know that one study that was published with this argument used like hundred years of gold data and then concluded, well, yeah, there is no uh, relation between the stock to flow over that hundred per- year period and, uh, and the market value. But, they forgot that uh, since 1971 or be, uh, everything before 1971, the gold price was the dollar price. So there was no movement in the gold price uh, denominated in dollar at all. If you look at the charts, for example, there is uh, one little jump in uh, around the World War II period where uh, Roosevelt, uh, oh, it was a little before that. It was 33, I guess, where Roosevelt stole the gold from, uh, from uh, the American people and that it was illegal to have gold. Uh, and in that period, they, they jumped the price, the dollar price of gold uh, a little. But from there, it has been flat. And before that 1933 Roosevelt action, it was flat as well. Bitcoin or um, gold, dollar was gold. It was d- defined literally as a, uh, a measure, a, a certain um, amount of ounces of gold. So you can't take a data set with a lot of data before 1971 and then conclude that that the gold price did not move with uh, with the stock to flow because it did not move at all. And uh, and in fact, in my own charts, I take ten years of data, stock to flow data, of gold, and um, and market value data. And what you see, it's it it it's it's one little dot on that on that chart. So you see Bitcoin move, uh, but the stock to flow of gold and the stock to f- and the market value of gold did not move that much at all. So I'll I'll repost that that chart in in one of the tweets uh, later this week. Uh you, you can see for yourself it's it's really it's really not moved at all. And and in that study you re- you are referring to there was a chart with 100 years of data and uh yeah they just didn't acknowledge the fact that data that that gold and dollars were the same before 1971. So speaking of dollars um, obviously, we're in a very unusual time historically right now with the pandemic. How would you say the pandemic has influenced the Bitcoin price over the last almost two years? Yeah, in, in the beginning, it, 
it went down. So in March uh, 2020, we had this, uh, yeah, everybody was scared. Everybody was um, panicking and sold everything uh, from, from, from stocks to, to bonds to uh, real estate to, to, to even gold and uh, Bitcoin. But in the long run, I think it, it, it has been very good for the Bitcoin price because uh, of debasement because of the Fed printing all that money. And of course, that was the reason why Satoshi Nakamoto invented Bitcoin for the first place. The problem with our current money is the debasement uh, that the central banks are doing. And they have been doing that for ages, literally since the Roman empires. They they diminished the, the silver content of the denarius uh, as a way to um, enrich themselves and, and steal, uh, literally steal from, from the people. So and that's what central banks are doing uh, right now. They do it for the greater good, of course. That's the narrative. So to save the banks uh, in, in the 2008 uh, financial crisis and to save all the companies and, uh, and uh, for example, airliners now in the COVID period. But, uh, but somebody has to pay that and, and it's paid through debasement. Our dollars, the dollars that you and I have in our pockets, um, become less valuable. And we see that in inflation. First asset inflation, house prices, equity prices, everything of value arises, including Bitcoin. <laughs> and that's so, so it's, it has been very, very good for the Bitcoin price. But now it, it, uh, trickles down to, um, energy prices, energy inflation, uh, gas, electricity, etc., and even core inflation. So, uh, of course, central banks have been saying it, it has been transitory, but we all know it's not transitory. It's here to stay, and it's getting it, it will become worse. So, yeah, that, that those trillions and trillions of dollars. I think it's eight trillion uh, to be exactly uh, that the Fed and also the the European Central Bank, by the way, is also eight trillion dollars that they printed. Um, that problem has to be solved. Um, I don't know how. How it, it's <laughs> it will be very interesting to see in the in the next couple of months or years how that that's getting resolved. But uh, it 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 will be nasty, I think, and there will be winners and losers. And I think Bitcoin um, is one of your your safe bets in this in this uh, scenario. Well, speaking of kind of some of the geopolitical issues, we have seen this big change in the Bitcoin network due to China banning mining there and also the government just cracking down even more stringently on trading. How would you say that all that has affected the price and, and will continue to affect Bitcoin going forward? Yeah, China has been a big factor in the Bitcoin and especially in mining because all the um, free electricity in the provinces with where the uh, the, the dams were and the, and the hydro uh, uh, energy was available that was very cheap energy and of course um, yeah it, it has to be used and and Bitcoin is a perfect use for that so I guess at one point China had fifty percent of the mining power the hash rate of the entire Bitcoin network. And then um, they banned it. They made it illegal. And that had an enormous uh, effect on price. It was April, I guess, this year, May, April or May this year. And um, yeah, they just switched off half the network, um, which technically is not a problem, of course. But for the miners that are impacted, it was a very big problem. And uh, their entire business model and investment, of course, uh, were rendered uh, worthless, or at least they had to... Uh, 
they had to, to, to go to a plan B scenario, which they did. They moved their, uh, their mining equipment, their hardware to the neighboring countries of China and also to America, of course. And I guess now, um, a couple of months later, the situation is, is completely opposite that uh, the US, United States has 50% of the hash power of the Bitcoin network and China has zero. So China has decided not to, uh, to play the Bitcoin game and yeah, in my opinion, they gave away their a, a very strategic and and an important uh, advantage. That's how yeah. I see it as an investor, of course. Yeah, well, yeah, I think it's also good for the Bitcoin network because there was always the talk that there could be a threat if the Chinese government decided to take over the miners or or something like that. Absolutely, but yeah, yeah so now it's stronger. And I think the last stat that I heard was that in July the U.S. had thirty-five uh, percent of the Bitcoin hash rate. Um, so let's talk about your models for the price of Bitcoin for the next, I don't know, six months or so. Um, I did see you say that the floor for November will be ninety-eight k for December, one hundred thirty-five k. How are you getting there, and what drivers do you think will bring us to those prices? Yeah, so I basically have uh, three kind of models. Uh, the first model is the fundamental one, the stock-to-flow model that we talked about. The second one is a floor model that is more a technical analysis, uh, price-based model. And it makes use of a mathematical error that most people, especially the technical analysts, make when looking at markets like uh, Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is not normally distributed, the returns. It's, it's following power laws, and you need different math for that. And all the technical analysis tools are, they are for normal markets. For example, the RSI, the relative strength index, it normally bounces between 30 and 70. When it's 70, it's, uh, a market is, uh, an asset is overbought. If it's uh, below 30, it's oversold. While Bitcoin's RSI never goes below, or, or at least, well, sometimes, but almost never goes below 45. <laughs> and uh, and can go as high as 95. So that, that tells you there's some really different dynamics uh, and also mathematical processes behind the Bitcoin price. And you have to look at things like fractal dimensions, Hearst components, that, that kind of stuff. So that's the floor model. And the third thing I'm looking at, and actually I'm spending most of my time there at the moment, is uh, on-chain models. So the big advantage of Bitcoin is that we have all the transactions on-chain transactions available in the blockchain. Everybody can download the blockchain. If they run a node, it's about 400 gigabytes of data. So it's a big data crunch, but you can, you can get that data and, and analyze it. And you see all sorts of patterns in the transactions, where they came from, from old investors or new investors, big investors, small investors, all sorts of patterns. And those models are very, useful for timing tops and bottoms. So FOMO transactions, for example, are very noticeable. And the uh, at the very bottom, there, the emotions there are very interested and interesting and, and, and uh, seeable in the transaction. So I use those three models. And the model that got most attention the last couple of months was the floor model, because I, I predicted in um, June 20th, 
that was the same time, by the way, that the Guggenheim uh, chief investment officer uh, predicted Bitcoin to go uh, below 20K. <laughs> at, at, at about that same day, I made the disc- uh, prediction, no, 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 it's going to 47. And, and Bitcoin was, mind you, was below 34 at that time. Uh, I said, well, in August, it will close uh, above 47. In September, it goes down a little, but it will close above 43. And in October, it will close above 63. Well, it it's a bit of luck, of course, involved in there. It has to be. <laughs> One cannot be that precise, but... But at least all those all those targets were met. So 47, 43, and we're waiting for the close of the month, of course, now uh, of October. But 63 is uh, is in the book. So uh, yeah, and and if that if that continues, and frankly, I would be very surprised if it doesn't. Uh, that would be a black swan event uh, that we haven't seen in the last ten years. But if that continues, we'll go to ninety eight thousand uh, in November already, and one hundred thirty five thousand bitcoin uh in december so that will be a very nice christmas this year if that comes true i agree so in the past bitcoin has breathed as one of my sources call it in cycles of hitting a new high kind of basically in a bubble-like fashion and then drawing down again but to a floor that was higher than in the previous cycle do you believe that we're in a cycle like that again? Or do you believe that with these new levels of institutional validation that we're seeing, and also, I think, kind of like a more diverse set of drivers, do you think that Bitcoin will not see that same kind of cycle again in which the price sees a massive drop after this um, you know, next high is reached until the next halving? Yeah, I, I seem to be one of the few that thinks we're in a normal cycle that will go down again after the all-time high because everybody, um, I guess, hopes for the super cycle or the hyper-Bitcoinization uh, to start right now uh, and that we do not have a, a big crash after next uh, all-time high so that we don't see a minus 50% or even a minus 80% drop like we have seen last three times, right? Um, and as as much as I, I would hope that were true, that we don't see that crash anymore, I think we will. We're still in a phase where Bitcoin is very, very small compared to traditional assets. Um, institutional investors either flat out deny the asset, don't want to have it, think it's uh, for criminals or, or bad for the environment and all this stuff you read in the main, mainstream media, <laughs> they're still there. So I don't think the world is ready yet for hyper-Bitcoinization or, or the super cycle. I don't think we we will be managed by greed right now and fear later on and see another minus 80% after we uh, top out uh, at a couple hundred thousand dollars. But uh, there will be a point in time, and in that, in that way, it's a timing question. There will be a point in time later on, maybe after next halving in 2024, when the market is ready and, and ready for Bitcoin, but also ready to to see that Bitcoin is the better money um, because it's scarcer than anything else. It's more divisible. It's more fungible. It's more portable. It's really mathematical and, and thermodynamically the best money there is. And and as soon as people realize that, see that, um, yeah, then then maybe the dollar is in trouble and we'll have a global reserve currencies uh, that's called Bitcoin. Um, but I guess 
my timing for that hyper Bitcoinization or super cycle event is 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 after 2024, maybe maybe uh, somewhere between 2024 and, and and 32. Okay, okay. Well, we'll have to check back and see because. <laughs> I agree. I have other sources who also believe that this cycle will be different. So um, I guess we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll do a show with you and somebody who believes that, and then you can discuss and we'll try to do it like Super. for December, or January or something like, right as, right as we're hitting that high. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you very much. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Did you know that exchanges take up to a 25% cut on your staking rewards? But you don't need an exchange to stake. You can run a validator at home. Join thousands of solo stakers, get an Avado device, plug it in, deposit your stake, and earn the full reward. Avado created the best hardware and specific software to stake and keeps your validator on the latest version through auto updates. One-time investment, 100% profit. Go to Avado. That's A-V-A dot D-O. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. ProShares Bitcoin Futures ETF goes wild. On Tuesday, the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF went live, becoming the first Bitcoin Futures ETF to launch in the U.S. Trading under the ticker BITO on the New York Stock Exchange, the listing of BITO marked a significant milestone for the crypto industry, which has been attempting to get a Bitcoin-linked ETF approved by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission since 2013. The fund tracks Chicago Mercantile Exchange, or CME, Bitcoin futures, allowing investors to gain exposure to BTC by speculating on the future price rather than purchasing the underlying crypto asset itself. For now, a spot Bitcoin ETF, which would give direct exposure to Bitcoin the asset, has yet to be approved by the SEC. Based on BITO's performance over the first few days of trading, investors seem fine with purchasing the Bitcoin-adjacent investment fund. BITO saw nearly $1 billion of trading volume on Tuesday, enough to make it the second-largest first day of trading for a U.S. ETF, according to Bloomberg's Eric Balchunas. Even more impressively, after closing on Wednesday afternoon, BITO assets totaled $1.1 billion, making it the fastest ETF ever to reach a billion dollars. In what Balchunas described as, quote, a poetically apropos movement, BITO broke GLD's 18-year-old record of hitting $1 billion in assets in three days. BITO is trading so well, however, that Bloomberg reports it is likely to breach the limit on the number of futures contracts CME will permit it to hold. Quote, after two days trading, BITO owns nearly 1,900 contracts for October, and CME rules cap the number of front-month contracts one entity can own to 2,000. What could help the situation is the next news item. More Bitcoin futures on the way. With the SEC's approval of ProShares Bitcoin Futures ETF, institutions are flocking to get similar products to market. Notably, the SEC approved two additional Bitcoin futures ETFs to be issued by Valkyrie and VanEck, respectively. According to filings, VanEck's Bitcoin strategy ETF is set to go live after October 23rd, meaning it will most likely go live via the New York Stock Exchange on Monday, October 25th. Valkyrie also gained approval and will list on NASDAQ as soon as the 23rd, which is when this podcast goes live. Amusingly, Valkyrie initially filed under the ticker 
BTFD, which for those of you who spend hours on crypto Twitter will know means buy the fucking dip. However, the company ended up changing the ticker to BTF. ETFs are not the only way to get into the Bitcoin futures game. On Wednesday, SIBO, where over $75 billion in U.S. equities are traded daily, announced the acquisition of ErisX, a digital asset exchange that offers spot and futures products. Under the new deal, ErisX will be rebranded to SIBO Digital. Ed Tilly, chairman, president, and CEO of SIBO Global Markets, said, quote, We believe our acquisition of ErisX, coupled with broad industry participation and support, will help us bring the regulatory framework, transparency, infrastructure, and data solutions of traditional markets to the digital asset space. This is SIBO's second foray into Bitcoin futures, as the exchange previously offered Bitcoin futures from 2017 to 2019. More fines for Tether. Last Friday, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, or CFTC, announced the simultaneous filing and settlement of charges against Tether and Bifinex for $42.5 million total. The regulator penalized the stablecoin issuer $41 million for, quote, making untrue or misleading statements and omissions in connection to the backing of USDT, the largest stablecoin by market cap. Ifinex was fined $1.5 million for the misdeeds of Bitfinex, such as operating a futures commission merchant without the CFTC's permission and engaging in, quote, illegal off-exchange retail commodity transactions. Acting Chairman Rostin Benham said, quote, This case highlights the expectation of honesty and transparency in the rapidly growing and de- developing digital assets marketplace. In a conversation with the block, Bitfinex's general counsel, Stuart Hogner, explained that what sparked the enforcement actions occurred during, quote, markedly different time in our ecosystem. Hogner went on to add that there is no finding that Tether tokens were not fully backed at all times, simply that the reserves were not all in cash and all in a bank account titled in Tether's name at all times. In related news, Celsius CEO Alex Mashinsky told the Financial Times this week that Tether has begun loaning USDT against cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum as collateral. Quote, if you give them enough collateral, liquid collateral, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on, they will mint Tether against it, said Mashinsky. Decrypt points out that this conflicts with Tether's legal terms, which state, quote, Tether will not issue Tether tokens for consideration consisting of the digital tokens, for example, Bitcoin. Only money will be accepted upon issuance. Additionally, on Tuesday, Hindenburg Research announced a $1 million bounty to be presented to anyone who comes forward with what they are calling undisclosed details about Tether reserves. The research firm says it is establishing the bounty due to doubts regarding the legitimacy of USDT's backing. Senators call for Novi to shut down. On Tuesday, five Democratic senators, including Elizabeth Warren, sent a letter to Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, urging him to shut down the social media giant's cryptocurrency projects Novi, a digital wallet, and Diem, a stablecoin. Disclosure, I write a Facebook bulletin newsletter. In their bid to dissuade Novi and Diem from launching, the signatories cited Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, Acting Controller of the Currency Michael Sue, and the Financial Action Task Force as regulators who are looking into quote, the risks that stablecoins pose to financial stability. The letter came just hours after Novi, Facebook's crypto wallet, launched a pilot in the U.S. and Guatemala, 
and announced a partnership with Paxos that would allow users to send and receive Paxos' stablecoin, USDP, through Novi. Notably, Novi chose not to use DM, Facebook's digital currency project, which has hit major regulatory obstacles since being announced as Libra more than two years ago. Warren Co. explicitly addressed the pilot program in their letter. Facebook is once again pursuing digital currency plans on an aggressive timeline and has already launched a pilot for a payments infrastructure network, even though these plans are incompatible with the actual financial regulatory landscape, not only for DM specifically, but also for stablecoins in general. In addition to citing concerns regarding financial stability, the senators also went after Facebook's history of moving fast and breaking things. Quote, Facebook cannot be trusted to manage a payment system or digital currency when its existing ability to manage risks and keep consumers safe has proven wholly insufficient. We urge you to immediately discontinue your Novi pilot and to commit that you will not bring Diem to market, concluded the senators. In response, a Novi spokesperson told the block, quote, we look forward to responding to the committee's letter. Next headline. New York State Attorney General calls for cease and desist. New York Attorney General Letitia James directed two crypto lenders to immediately cease operations within the state and three other platforms to provide information about their activities. The AG did not name the company she is going after, though documents in the release reference both Nexo and Celsius. Disclosure, Nexo is a previous sponsor of my shows. However, Celsius published a blog post this week claiming it has not received a cease and desist order in New York. According to the New York AG's press release, crypto lenders are facilitating, quote, unregistered and unlawful activities by offering interest-bearing accounts, which the regulator believes are securities. The press release states that digital asset lending platforms must register with the state's attorney general's office before offering any such product to New Yorkers. Cryptocurrency platforms must follow the law, just like everyone else, which is why we are now directing two crypto companies to shut down and forcing three more to answer questions immediately, said Attorney General James. Time for fun bits. Jack Dorsey almost called Bitcoin's all-time high. On Tuesday, Twitter and Square CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted 705742. No context, no punctuation, just the string of six digits. The tweet sparked a variety of speculation, with many non-crypto accounts lurking in the comments trying to ascertain the meaning of the seemingly random digits. Luckily, a follow-up tweet by Dorsey cleared up the confusion. Off by 117, he wrote, most likely in reference to how many blocks he was away from predicting Bitcoin's all-time high. By Decrypt's math, this put Dorsey nearly 20 hours off on his prediction, as Bitcoin did not hit its new all-time high above $67,000, according to CoinGecko, until Wednesday morning. You can't make this stuff up. The Sam Bankman-Fried-led cryptocurrency exchange, FTX, announced a massive funding round on Thursday that valued the company at $25 billion. So what's the fun part? FTX raised exactly $420,690,000 in its Series B, sourced from 69 investors, including BlackRock and Tiger Global. In a billionaire-related meme, Elon Musk tweeted a couple lying in bed looking at a chart of the Bitcoin and Ethereum prices at $69,000 and $4,200, respectively. PleaserDAO invests in a physical NFT. PleaserDAO, a collective of NFT owners known for making splashy digital purchases, bought Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, 
a rare physical album by Wu-Tang Clan for $4 million, according to the New York Times. The Times says, Pleaser Dow purchased the album from none other than the U.S. government after its previous owner was convicted of fraud and had his assets seized. The album is undoubtedly a forerunner to NFTs. Wu-Tang Clan only created one copy of the album and placed stringent legal restrictions on it. For instance, the initial contract prevented the buyer from using the music commercially for 88 years. In a blog post, Pleaser Dow concluded, quote, We believe the next chapter in the incredible story of this album should be Web 3.0 native. Although we are bound by the legal agreement underpinning this work of art and may not be able to duplicate and share the music digitally, we firmly believe there are ways to share this musical masterpiece with the world. A lot of things in life are temporary, fleeting, and permanent. But remember this, just like our blockchain, Wu-Tang is forever. All right, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Plan B, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening. <laughs>